You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department, AMED. Your host is trauma surgeon Dr. John Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is a former Army colonel who served as director of the U.S. Army Trauma Training Center in Miami, Florida, and as chair of the ACS Army Committee on Trauma. Elevating our care of the wounded through applied research. Our guest is Colonel and Dr. Lauren Blackburn, surgeon and newly minted commander of the United States Army Institute of Surgical Research, co-located with Brooke Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Blackburn has provided surgical care in Iraq and in support of Special Operations Forces. Welcome, Dr. Blackburn. Hello. As we think about the role of applied research in Army medicine, what is the Institute of Surgical Research? The Institute of Surgical Research is actually a combination of clinical and research activities aimed at improving combat casualty care on the battlefield. We're a unique setup in that we are co-located with uh, Brook Army Medical Center, also known as BAMSI, which is the Army's only level one trauma center in the United States. And we also run the DOD's only burn center. And DOD is the Department of Defense. Right. And how long has the Institute of Surgical Research been around? It's been around for over 50 years in different forms and in different places, beginning in New York and then moving to the old BAMSI, which is located at the Fort Sam installation, and now we're right outside Fort Sam in the new Brook Army Medical Center, which was built about 10 years ago now. And with the ISR, it's a standalone building, and in fact, with the new BRAC legislation, we're going to more than double in size in the research facility. And the BRAC is this base realignment and closure? The base realignment and closure. It's a law passed by Congress to make the military more efficient by co-locating a lot of units so there's not a lot of redundancy in our system. And I guess that might make the taxpayers happy. I would think that given your location and your dual missions of clinical care and research, that your institute has a lot of connectivity within Army Medicine and the Department of Defense. Absolutely. And people look to us for information and new advances with specific problems, and they let us know those, and then we approach them. With your location in San Antonio, what kind of visibility do you have on the current global war on terrorism? As the only burn center, we get every burned service member, and we take care of them until they're completely healed and beginning their rehab. And we um, also provide prolonged outpatient rehab at this time and reconstruction. Being a level one trauma center, we also get many wounded patients with general surgery or orthopedic injuries as well. We also have the Joint Theater Trauma System, which includes the Joint Theater Trauma Registry, which is very close to what the United States has in the National Trauma Data Bank, where all of the information from all the wounding outcomes and wounding patterns are placed. And that can be looked at to improve the process of providing trauma care in the deployed setting and along the global evacuation route. So you have this registry which has within it every casualty from 
Iraq and Afghanistan, and you're able to look through this and find patterns, maybe targets of opportunity for further investigation? Exactly. We don't have the complete database, but you know, every day we're getting closer and closer. We have lots of folks going through medical charts, putting the data in, but we have several years, and you're right, we can look for any kind of trends and complications and outcomes where we can apply you know, research efforts. Along that line, the Institute of Surgical Research is famous for asking the right questions and getting some pretty interesting answers. What can you share with us about what you and your colleagues have found so far from the registry and other ways that you are assessing casualty care? The first example of that is looking at actual soldiers who actually died on the battlefield and looking at the injuries and seeing which injuries were potentially preventable from causing death. And the one thing that really stood out was isolated extremity injury. And with that, you know, we tested a bunch of tourniquets and we found two that could distal blood flow and which were comfortable enough that a patient would tolerate it if they were still conscious. With that data, we made the recommendation to actually field these tourniquets. And they're the windless, which means they have a, a rod which you twist and they tighten. And today, every soldier who deploys into a combat zone has his or her own personal tourniquet, and our medics carry multiple tourniquets. We think that this is preventing the large majority of potentially preventable deaths on the battlefield. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and my guest is Colonel and Dr. Lorne Blackburn, we are discussing lessons in casualty care from Army Medicine. So one of the lessons then is stopping the bleeding as close to the point of injury as possible. Right, and especially in the extremity, because we can get a mechanical means to stop that blood flow and that bleeding. The other area that we're looking at is the groin, axilla, neck, which we call compressible, because you can compress the blood vessel, but it's non-tourniquetable. And the one thing that we've applied there is hemostatic agents. So if you look back in history, we've been using cloth bandages to place over the wound for the last several hundred years. So in this conflict, it's the first time we have deployed an actual hemostatic dressing, and this is aimed at actually helping the blood coagulate at the site of bleeding. And is there one particular type of hemostatic dressing that seems to be better than the rest? Well, we initially tested of all the hemostatic agents available. We deployed a hemcon wound dressing. And this is an iterative process, which means we'll have to check this every year because more and more products are becoming available. And we've recently tested some new agents and along with the Navy came up with two very efficient hemostatic dressings the Committee on Tactical Combat Casualty Care has recommended that we replace the currently deployed hemostatic agents with these new ones. And what are the names of the new ones? The ones that have been very successful in our lab in the Navy is the Combat Gauze, and that's a gauze with a kaolin ingredient, and then Woundstat, which is a granular hemostatic agent that you can actually pour into a wound and which forms a barrier to bleeding. 
and we think will promote coagulation. And it is made of uh, smectite, which is a mineral-based product. So I'm hearing about tourniquets and combat gauze and granular hemostatic agents. Are these ready for prime time on ambulances in the United States? Absolutely. Both of those hemostatic agents I just mentioned are FDA-approved. The tourniquets are, you know, commercially available. There are several to choose from that are all very efficient. Well, tourniquets still seem to have a bad name. What's been learned about appropriate tourniquet use? Well, we actually looked at that, and over 400 uses of the tourniquet resulted in no limb loss due to the tourniquet and very low rate of uh, nerve palsy. Less than 2% of the patients had a temporary transient to nerve palsy. So we think that they are actually extremely safe. And, you know, you're not going to use it unless you have life-threatening bleeding. And on the battlefield, we always use, you know, life over limb. So we think they're the most efficient way to prevent death on the battlefield. In general use in the United States, would you still recommend for bleeding initial direct pressure? And then if that's not successful, move to a tourniquet on areas that are tourniquetable, if you will, and potentially use this combat gauze and the granular hemostatic agents for these compressible, non-tourniquetable areas? Absolutely. You know, always direct pressure is the first method. But if you have a transected femoral artery, you can hold pressure, but it's going to bleed around your pressure. In those situations where you have life-threatening, you know, severe bleeding, the tourniquet is absolutely life-saving. It would seem that with these advances, there has to be some sort of standardized training. If every soldier has a tourniquet, each soldier must understand how to use it. How has the Army been preparing the soldiers and the medics and the rest of the casualty care system to use these advances? Before any soldier is deployed, they get some basic combat lifesaver training, and the highlight of that training is the tourniquet, as we know that that is the most likely method of preventing death on the battlefield. So every soldier is trained on the use of the tourniquet, and our medics, of course, go through you know, extensive training and including, you know, tactical life-saving maneuvers because they have to be able to apply these methods in a combat situation. So when they're being shot at. Exactly. And the Committee on Tactical Combat Casualty Care has looked at, you know, every scenario that you could possibly come up with and at least given some basic guidelines for the medics based on experience. Well, we have been finding answers to important questions through applied research from Army Medicine with Colonel and Dr. Lauren Blackborn, trauma surgeon and commander of the world-famous Brook Army Burn Center at the Institute of Surgical Research. Dr. Blackborn, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Strength to Heal on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The Strength to Heal is brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department. Amen. For more information on this or any other program, and to access our on-demand features, please visit us at ReachMD.com. For more information regarding Army Medicine, go to healthcare.goarmy.com heal to learn more. When we talked to Captain Ernesto Cardenas, an OBGYN in the Army Medical Corps, we asked him why he chose the Army for his practice. 
His answer surprised us. He didn't talk about being given an established practice or not having to worry about insurance, employees, or rent. He didn't say that he enjoyed having the most advanced technology at his disposal or being a member of one of the world's largest healthcare systems. Captain Cardenas talked about giving back to the country that had given him so much. He went on to tell us about practicing in a humanitarian mission to his native Colombia and the sense of pride he felt in providing free care to people in need there. A medical career in the U.S. Army or Army Reserve is rewarding on many levels, personal and professional. You can reward your career, your country, and your life for a lifetime. Exercise your strength to heal. Visit healthcare.goarmy.com slash heal to learn more. That's healthcare.goarmy.com slash heal. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.